every vote in every state and every town really matters. And I just believe that so fundamentally in my soul. I go out and register voters on the weekends. You know, this is the most important election maybe of our lifetime. And I can't say enough about how it matters at the White House, but more importantly, at your local mayor's office and your county clerk just as much. Hi, and welcome to Conversations Beneath the Cupola, a Gettysburg College podcast. I'm Bob Giuliano, president of the college and your host. As we record this episode, the 2020 presidential election is already underway as registered voters across the country begin to mail in absentee and early voting ballots. November 3rd is just a few days away. In today's episode, I am joined by two Gettysburg College alumni, Joanna Persing and Kat Atwater. Both Kat and Johanna are, as Teddy Roosevelt famously said, actually in the arena. Joanna graduated from the college in 2011 and now serves as the Deputy Communications Director for the Republican National Committee. Kat, a 2007 grad, went on to earn a Master of Science in Democratization and Voting Systems from the London School of Economics. She now works for the Democratic National Committee as Deputy Chief Technology Officer. Together, we will discuss their work the election, and how Gettysburg College prepared them for their role in politics. Joanna and Kat, again, thank you so much for joining me today and to talk about what I think is a really interesting set of topics that we'll discuss. I'm going to start with a really basic question, one I suspect you all hear from others as well. We all have heard of the RNC and the DNC, but I suspect we're a little less familiar, at least I am, in really understanding their roles in um, contemporary politics. And I know it's changed over time. Kat, maybe we'll start with you. What does the DNC do, um, briefly at least? Sure, I get that question a lot. The DNC is very much an infrastructure organization and a service provider to democratic campaigns across the country and up and down the ballot. Our role as a national party is really to facilitate our candidates, local parties, state parties, and all of our grassroots supporters to engage with the small D democratic process and to provide resources, support, and avenues for the deep connection they feel with, with our values and how they affect everyday Americans. But the DNC is really meant to be a platform for candidates to spring off from and providing strong support from tech to digital organizing to fundraising and communications um, is kind of where we add our unique value to our candidates and our voters. And just to be clear, Kat, based upon what you said, um, if there is a primary and there are competing Democrats, you provide services to all um, if they want it. Absolutely right. We want to be that neutral foundation for any Democrat, and especially in the presidential primary, all of the candidates who come forward who are uh, bona fide Democrats to really have a chance to speak to voters and let the voters decide. So Johanna, what about uh, the RNC? Is it different fundamentally? Much of what Kat said I'll agree with and, and is very similar to what we do, with, do here at the RNC. Um, obviously, we are a big uh, fundraising operation here um, to help not only the president get reelected, but other Senate and congressional candidates. We help build a grassroots operation. So we've got, you know, we've spent the past couple of years building up 2.5 million volunteers, um, uh, staffers all across the battleground states, 
Um, we've been in the field since about 2013 and have maintained that operation. We don't get involved in any primaries. So we sort of let the primary process play out. We let the voters pick the candidate and then we go from there. Um, so we support any candidate with an R next to their name and make sure they have the resources, infrastructure, um, data to win. That's, that's helpful to know. So the next thing I'd like to understand better uh, is actually what you both do. You do different things within your two organizations, at least by title. Joanna, starting with you, Deputy Communications Director. I think I know what that means, but why don't you say a word or two about what that actually means? And again, particularly in the context of a presidential election, where the president has a White House communication staff and campaign communication staff, what's the nature of your role given all of that? Yeah, so I am a deputy communications director here. We have, I'm guessing much like the DNC, we have a press shop here that we have folks who handle national press, who deal with reporters. Um, my area is dealing with surrogates and media affairs. So I help get Republicans on TV and radio. Um, I have a team of about eight and we've done thousands and thousands of bookings um, this year, probably over 15, 20,000 bookings. Um, we make sure that our surrogates who are out there are armed with the right messaging uh, to support the president um, and other Republican values. We help engage with outside surrogates. Uh, take, for instance, the Judge Barrett confirmation hearing. Um, my team has helped book some of her fellow law professors, uh, former students, um, character witnesses of hers on TV and radio. Um, and... But my, I always come into work thinking my message, my goal today is to get as many folks out there to share what the president's working on um, and how his agenda has helped all Americans. That's helpful. Kat, uh, you're not directly in the communication side, but I suspect that you are quite actively involved in it, just given what I understand to be your role. So why don't you say a word or two about what it means to be the deputy chief technology officer for the DNC? Sure. So as you might expect, I help lead the technology team. Um, and it covers a wide variety of verticals. Um, our team manages tools that, like I said, almost 10,000 campaigns use across the country and the data that they use to power their campaigns. We manage the general IT infrastructure, cybersecurity, and counter dis and misinformation programs of the party. Um, and I mean, in tech, I just, I'm so lucky. I get to work with the brightest minds in the tech industry coming out of Google, Amazon, Uber, and the progressive space who have come together with the shared goal of saving democracy and to help rebuild the DNC's tech infrastructure from the ground up this cycle. Um, you know, I'm an organizer and a student of political systems at my core, and I come to the work through that lens. So my work is really to help facilitate the team's technological strategy and building. And we're closely with our partners at our sister committees like the DCCC and state parties and the campaign itself, the Biden campaign, um, to provide them the tools and resources they need to be fantastic technologists and strategists. Um, it's super rewarding to work with these brilliant, brilliant humans every day. I was gonna get to this later, but maybe I'll, you've invited me there in a sense, Kat, and that is um, help chart the course from a Gettysburg political science major to a deputy chief technology uh, officer, that path doesn't necessarily seem linear from my perspective. 
Sure. And anyone uh, at Gettysburg who's ever met me knows I'm the least linear person on the planet. Um, but at Gettysburg, I studied political science. Um, and I left school thinking I would be a journalist and actually was for several uh, months after I graduated. Um, I'd interned, I'd had the opportunity to do a semester in DC and I'd interned at CNN and here I was with these great ideals of what journalism could be. And I got in there and I was writing stories and I realized that um, I wanted to be doing instead of writing about it. And so I um, got in my car and I drove to Iowa and I worked on Hillary Clinton's first presidential campaign, um, which was eye-opening and extraordinary and kind of kicked off my career as an organizer. I worked for several years in labor. I went to get my grad school degree in something completely different, democratization in developing countries. And then as I came back, I wanted to really make a change in the progressive space. And I wanted to use my organizing skills. And um, a good friend tipped me off that data and technology were really becoming the tip of the spear for how strategy was form formulating and changing politics. And I jumped in in a tech startup and um, the rest is kind of history. I've spent a lot of time around technologists who are so much better with with code and cybersecurity and those uh, niche um, skill sets that I, I don't have, but I have learned to kind of speak their language and be able to think through what resources and political maneuvers and um, and things that they need to be able to be great at their jobs. So that's where I mentioned data. Right. I'll simply note this, Kat, that the um, uh, since you have graduated, the college has now um, established a data science minor with the understanding that it's hard to be effective today without really understanding how to use effectively and ethically big data sets. So Jenna, same question back to you. Um, so you were, I think, political science and religion, if I'm not mistaken. I was, um, yes. What got you into this path and how did Gettysburg help prepare you for what you're doing now? Sure, I um, knew that I wanted to be down here in DC. So after I graduated from Gettysburg, I, I moved down here and as probably many students at Gettysburg now would know, many of the internships here in DC are unpaid. So sort of budgeted out what I, the finances I had and, and gave myself 60 days and passed my resume around to as many people who would listen, uh, talked to a bunch of Gettysburg alumni who were very helpful. Um, and at pretty much day 59 or 60, I uh, landed a job here at the RNC in the press shop as a press assistant uh, for then communications director, Sp Sean Spicer, um, and worked here in 2012 and did a couple, I've been here on a couple stints, uh, worked on a congressional race in Northern Virginia as a communications director uh, for Barbara Comstock, who's a former congressman worked for um, on the Hill for about a year uh, for Ryan Costello, who's a former congressman from Philadelphia area. And then in about 2016, moved up to New Hampshire and worked in the field um, for the RNC during the primary, uh, which was very exciting, first in the nation primary. And then once the president won, moved back down here to DC and took over the TV and radio operation and built it from scratch. Uh, when I first started, it was just me and one other staffer and we'd be up at all hours of the night trying to get folks on TV, uh, but have since built a fairly good sized team, uh, which is the largest in RNC party history, for sure. 
was this a path that you thought you were going to pursue when you were first year wandering through the campus trying to find Servo? It was not, no. <laughs> but it, I, I'm sure as many students and alumni can attest, you sort of just take a path and, and it works and things pop up that you never would have thought. Uh, never thought I would have lived in New Hampshire, but I did and very grateful for it and lucky to be a witness to history here. Both of you are underscoring something I say to our students all the time, which is uh, just be open to serendipity. Um, that is, you don't know where life is going to take you. And as long as you keep those blinders off uh, so that you're willing to see and explore, you don't know where things will, will lead. So, and I think both of you, your life experiences seem to speak to that. So turning back to your day jobs, obviously one of the defining moments of this, um, of this moment in time is the pandemic um, and the way it has disrupted the way in which we live and we work. And by the way, I should know how we study as well. Um, so Kat, how has it affected, not the way you do your job, but the way the DNC is seeking uh, to engage the work that you've described? You know, the, the DNC and the Biden campaign have taken this unprecedented health crisis extremely seriously since the outset. And I think we've been really agile in adjusting to the new reality, placing our teams, our families, our voters' health above everything else. Um, I, you know, I think it's fair to say we pivoted really well and I, I'm proud of the way we've scaled up our ability to reach voters digitally in a way that, um, you know, we may not have expected to scale so quickly, but um, we wouldn't have reached certain voters if, and we wouldn't have met them otherwise. And, you know, my team, one of the pieces of my team's work that I'm so proud of is IWillVote.com, which is the foremost tool for voters to um, access and check if they um, are registered to vote, to find information on how, on different voting options, to look up where to drop off their ballots, where to vote on early, where to vote in person. Um, and that's exactly the kind of tech that I came to the DNC to help build, which is enfranchising, accessible, strategic tech. And, you know, I think the flip side of this is my team has always been remote. We're an extremely large team. We're spread across the country. We wanted to be able to tap into tech talent across the country. And one of the cool facets of that is that we have been a Zoom and Slack first team for years now. And we were able to kind of coach our colleagues and friends on how to how to pivot into this new, um, this new environment. And so that's been uh, rewarding, but also not that different for us as a remote work team. Kat, I can't help but wonder whether there is a um, generational implication though to the use of technology. I think older voters, I think older citizens generally are uh, discounted in their use of technologies. And actually, there have been many government studies on the ability for seniors to use technology to get information about social programs they really care about, and that it's a super effective way to share information. By trying to reach voters on many, many channels with simple tools that have easy information to access that is from trusted sources, you know, we start to spread the word and people grow more and more used to looking for information, requesting ballots online. You know, I, one, one benefit of this pandemic is, and there are, there are only a few, is that um, 
people are really taking accessibility of voting really seriously right now. And that's young people and older people. And the barriers to enfranchisement are, are being lowered because we have to do it at this point. And, um, you know, that is a benefit to all of us. So Joanna, um, what about on your side? COVID-19 has changed the way we work. Has it made it more difficult, less difficult, um, or had no real impact on your ability to get your surrogates out there or to get the message that you're trying to get out, out? Well, at first, uh, when we switched to, when everybody realized that they were gonna be stuck at home in the middle of March, uh, we quickly assembled some Skype kits and, and managed to find ways that we could get folks on TV that way, uh, which was interesting and a, a quick lesson in being nimble on these type of things. Um, but in terms of what the RNC has done, we switched to a virtual campaign back around the 13th of March and continued that through the middle of June. Um, and we still managed to recruit about 300,000 volunteers during that time, just based on phone calls, uh, Zooms. Um, and we were able to utilize this tool we have called Trump Talk, which is an app and you can make phone calls right from your home. Um, and we saw numbers like that greatly increase during that time. And we also were able to um, better engage with some of our volunteers. So it's uh, obviously opened up different avenues to communicate with people and just become closer with some of our most uh, grassroots activists. This is probably there. one of those questions where the answer is both, but um, um, does it make it, has it made you more effective in getting the message out, uh, less effective or just plain different and it's too hard to tell yet whether it's worked or not worked as effectively as you would have liked? I, th I think a combination of both. I'll be interested to see just in terms of using studios, like I'm sure everybody that watches TV realized that many of our major news anchors were broadcasting from their homes. I, I think that a lot of that will, may change moving forward or you may not need to go to a studio. You can just do a TV interview Sunday morning from your house. Um, so in, in that regard, I think it's definitely easier. We have seen more uh, pets um, uh, than we ever expected to see in the last, uh, in, in the last several um, months. I, as you probably know, I came from Massachusetts. And one of the things about being in Massachusetts is that national presidential elections don't really take place because the state is very likely to vote um, in a certain direction. And so you tend not to get much in the way of um, uh, political advertisements. Having moved to Pennsylvania, I've experienced a very, very different environment in which the volume of advertisements have changed. And that's still TV advertisements. Um, has social media changed the way in which we reach voters? Uh, and again, re related back to the pandemic, has that become all the more important given, um, given the pandemic? Uh, Joanna, starting with you. Yeah, I, I think for sure it has, social media has helped. I mean, obviously the president utilizes social media on a daily basis to reach, directly reach the voters. Um, the Trump campaign, was able to quickly uh, produce evening programs that started at about seven that had top surrogates on discussing news of the day. And they had a couple million viewers on that, on Facebook um, and Twitter, which is pretty remarkable. So they were able to take, instead of doing traditional rallies, which the president would have been doing, they moved those to online um, with surrogates. So I, th I think we've been able to utilize social media during this time, absolutely. Kat, um, you're creating an infrastructure. Are you involved as well in 
um, things like social media communication, or is, I'm sure there's a communication shop, but help me understand the way the DNC has thought about that and your engagement with it. Sure. I mean, I think we're always thinking about how we can reach voters where they are. And TV is still part of that, but social media more and more becomes a way that we can, um, you know, its unique strength is sharing content with small groups, subsets of people about things that you really care about. Um, and I would say, you know, we think broadly about using data and technology tools like our text message programs or our dialer tools, similar to what Johanna was talking about uh, with their tool, you know, to, to make sure we're having conversations with voters um, on the medium that is the best and easiest for them. Um, I think the issue we face with social media platforms these days is that they're giving amplification to actors who are not interested in our democratic process and are, who are seeking to disenfranchise voters and undermine confidence in our elections. And I think that's really serious and really scary and something everyone should be paying extremely close attention to and pushing our elected officials to take action on. It's something that I think about daily and our counter disinformation team thinks about a lot. Facebook alone, for example, something like 52% of Americans often get their news from Facebook. And the top news sites on Facebook are largely propaganda and tabloids. And that is alarming for every voter. We should be extremely vigilant about this before the election and in, in the immediate aftermath. How did your four years on this campus, how has that helped you do your jobs well or shape your aspirations for, um, how did it land you where you landed and how has it helped you do what you're doing? Uh, so Kat, we'll start with you. Well, that's an easy one to start with. And I would say, you know, the people that Gettysburg surrounded me with and that I left with, my family, you know, not just my friends who, let's be clear, are the best in the world, but, you know, the mentors that I gained along the way, like Shirley Ann Warshaw and Janet Riggs and you know, our broader network from, from Joe, our alumni champion, to the Eisenhower Institute, you know, these people have really been my rock and my connectors. And I know Johanna's the same thing about networking after, um, after graduation. Um, you know, the people I met at Gettysburg, my best friends in life, um, so many of whom I see still year over year, they're the people whose values, you know, my connection to them and their values have drive my work every single day. Everything I do is for the people that uh, I love so much. And Gettysburg has connected me with just the best, the best in the world. I, I can't say enough good things about what I left with um, from campus, but just to kind of switch gears to the other side of the coin, you know, the opportunities that Gettysburg provided, whether it was from first year experience where I was put in my dorm room and my, and my first, my first classrooms with people who I was in the Supreme Court track of the political science department and we, we, you know, we just talked about gun safety and reproductive rights at dinner table and in, and in the classroom. And, and that really helped me, you know, explore my values, really understand them better, spar a little bit and kind of refine where I stood. Um, and, and that's been, that's been everything uh, to me along the way. Thank you. Now, this is a audio only, but I happen to be able to see Joanna, and I can see behind her that she has a big G on her wall, um, which I very much appreciate. And so, Joanna, that tells me something, but help me understand uh, your perspective on how Gettysburg College 
helped you uh, help shape who you are and how you do what you do and why you do what you do? Of course. Um, I, I just can't say enough good things about my time at Gettysburg. Um, when I, while I was there, I was a member of the swim team um, and that along with other values that are taught at Gettysburg just taught me to be a good teammate. And I think I always liken political campaigns to just a, uh, it's a competition, you know, and, and I like being on a team. I like supporting my teammates. Um, and I think that, that that is something that for sure was instilled in me more at Gettysburg um, when I was captain of the swim team. Won the conference championship three times while I was there. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> great, yeah. Um, but yes, for sure. It just, I think being at Gettysburg taught me to be a more engaged member of my community um, and gave me the confidence to come down here and work on in the political field. Um, and thankful to mentors in the political science department. Uh, Professor Stephen Stern was a good mentor of mine. Um, and just, it also encouraged me to sort of get outside of my bubble and, and see how other people in the world live. I studied abroad when I was there um, in Cairo. So that's certainly a unique experience for someone from the middle of Pennsylvania to go to a country um, that is far different than how we live here. Um, and just gave me a different appreciation for things outside of my normal world. Well, that's um, that's just a statement about what the college what a college is about, right? It is designed to expose you to different um, ways of thinking, different ways of being, and cause you to reflect on what matters to you. Um, uh, that is fundamentally what we're about. So let's wrap up with uh, one last set of questions, and that is, we believe as a college in what you guys do, right? Which is getting engaged, finding something that matters to you um, and applying yourself to it. Um, this has a particular relevance right now as we undertake an election, which regardless of what one views, what one's views about the candidates, it's an important election. It's going, there are very different views that the candidates have going forward. So how would you articulate to people listening and particularly to our students um, whether they should vote, why they should vote. How do you inspire them to get out and to have their voice heard? Um, Kat, I'll start with you. Sure. I mean, I am a broken record on this. Every single vote matters uh, in this election cycle, especially. And that's the presidency, the Senate, your local house, your town, your municipality. I think about this all the time. In 2019 in Virginia, state house election was decided by pulling a name out of a hat because after massive recounts it was dead even and i didn't know that <laughs> yep and the kentucky's governor's race last year was won by five thousand votes we democrats lost michigan in and the white house in 2016 because of ten thousand votes in michigan you know these numbers seem kind of big but they're small and they add up and in Virginia, let me just say, the, the winning the state house is the difference between you know, increasing the minimum wage, legalizing marijuana, tearing down monuments to slavery, you know, every vote in every state and every town really matters. And I just believe that so fundamentally in my soul. I go out and register voters on the weekends. You know, this is the most important election maybe of our lifetime. And I can't say enough about how it matters at the White House, but more importantly, at your local mayor's office and your county clerk, just as much. You're in the business of getting the vote out. Yeah, 
Pennsylvania, where I'm from, obviously where Gettysburg is, it was it was decided by 40,000 votes in 2016, which is pretty small, all things considered. And I think that Pennsylvania could very well be the state that determines um, who was elected in 2020. But it's important for everybody to remain engaged um, up and down the ballot, local races. Um, you know, every everybody makes a difference. And I think that if you think your vote doesn't matter, or you're just incorrect because we've seen countless examples of folks who races that that are decided by a handful of votes um, and could determine control of the Senate, can control the White House, or as Kat said, even state houses. So, you know, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I think everybody should take this opportunity to vote. We are a participatory democracy. One needs to get out there. One needs to get one's voice heard. Uh, voting is an essential aspect of it. Um, but as you all have done too, um, you can do more than that. That is, causes matter to you, find your voice. Um, find your voice, find a way to, um, to get engaged. And so I will end by thanking you all. Again, I'm very much about the belief that this college um, graduates people who wanna go on and do things that matter to them in ways that uh, amplify their reach and their scope. And you both have committed yourself to uh, things that matter to you. Uh, and that speaks very well of what we try to do here. So um, I appreciate your spending time with us today. Um, I know that both of you are dedicated to the Eisenhower Institute and you are involved with that. Thank you for remaining involved with the Eisenhower Institute and helping to shape the uh, paths of Gettysburg College students today and what is in front of them prospectively. Uh, for the future. So uh, to both of you, good luck. I hope to see you on campus when circumstances permit that to happen. So thank you all. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. It is the one year anniversary since the launch of Conversations Beneath the Cupola. We started this podcast with the goal of shining a spotlight on different facets of this dynamic college and to offer our listeners texture and nuance on issues that matter. Over the course of the year, we've explored a wide range of topics, from Confederate monuments to the global pandemic, from our first year seminar program to issues of racial justice, from the state of higher education to the legacy of a person with close ties to this community, Dwight Eisenhower. It's been a privilege to serve as the host of these conversations and to have the opportunity to learn from the rich experiences and the wisdom of our guests. To you, our listeners, Thank you for joining us on this journey of exploration and discovery. I am looking forward to all that year two of the podcast has in store for us. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions for other topics that warrant digging into under the cupola of Penn Hall. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation and want to be notified of future episodes, please subscribe to Conversations Beneath the Cupola by visiting gettysburg.edu or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a topic or suggestion for a future podcast, please email news at gettysburg.edu. Thank you, and until next time.